0: Welcome back, everybody. Uh, We will give people a little couple minutes to trickle in here, but uh, I do just wanna thank everybody for coming back. Uh, This is actually the third talk in our series. And if you want to find the other ones, we do have them on YouTube. Uh, We will also be releasing the audio version of them. So you can check that out once I have a link for that. So make sure to head to our social media, uh, we're homesteadyug on everything. So 100% we'll post it there. Um, just noting again, obviously this will be recorded. So, uh, just keep that in mind. And now that we've covered that, I just want to kind of give everybody a little refresher, especially if this is your first time joining us, that this, uh, series peer stands for positivity and innovation for Edmonton's reopening, which is a long way of saying that we want to spread a lot of positivity right now. Um, our owner, Tegan Martin Drysdale, who's on the line here, just saw that through COVID and through a multitude of situations that there's just been a lot of down and negative things out in the world. And we wanted to put out that positivity because as Edmontonians, we know we're capable of anything. We're resilient and we're probably the most powerful we've ever been. So we just wanted to bring that to the forefront in our community. So this week we'll actually be having some real fun and innovative solutions that are gonna help everybody's business. in a slightly different way, which will be interesting. Uh, This week we'll take you through a a set of stories from Carly and from Phil. Both of them are experts at uh, using podcasts, but in very different ways, and as well uh, using their marketing techniques in I would say non-traditional ways for their industries. Uh, Today our focus will be saying goodbye to parts of the traditional world and how we can use innovative ways and technology to increase sales, expand our networks, and move forward with that. Uh, So first off, um, I just want to introduce our speakers here. So we have Phil Wong, who's a managing partner at Commonwealth Home Ownership, as well as Carly Blosnick, who is from Your Girl Carly, or Confidence Club. She's got a couple of brands under her name, but uh, I'm sure we'll hear all about that when we get to Carly. So I just want to welcome everybody who uh, joined us, and uh, we're going to hop right in. So we'll hop in with Phil, and he'll take us through um, kind of his background a little bit about that. And if you have any questions, you can just pop them in the chat at any time. And right after Phil speaks, we'll start a little Q&A with him.
1: Hi, so uh, I'm Phil Wong. I am uh, one of the managing partners at Commonwealth Home Ownership. Um, It is a education platform uh, myself and my partner designed for real estate investors who just kind of want to get started or want to establish or grow their network so through our online website we've kind of established a little platform that allows real estate investors to have access to tools kind of like calculators um you know podcasts blogs a way to network with each other as well as kind of any uh, forms and contracts that they need to kind of get their real estate business off the ground so we've been working on that we've also established aside from commonwealth my partner and i were also building another business called uh for bookkeeping that's we can, we can go into that as well but that's kind of in line with this whole works well this whole COVID thing because we've start building it almost an entirely online digital platform for bookkeeping where you don't have to meet up with your accountant or your bookkeeper or anything like that just to, to make things more efficient so yeah and that's um that's but and I'm also a real estate investor as well I also have a, number of doors under my belt. And that's kind of how I got started. I found that there was a niche lacking for, <clears throat> so I feel like I had to learn everything the hard way, you know, how to like a uh, school of hard knocks, so to speak. And you know, lost a lot, you know, made some money, but also lost a lot of money along the way trying to figure things out. So decided to kind of create a platform to allow investors to kind of learn from our mistakes and uh, get, get to where they want to get a little bit faster.
0: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, um, as a native Edmontonian, I'm going to ask you the question that I've been asking everybody throughout the series, um, which is the most fun one, obviously. Um, it's in your experience, what, what about Edmonton kind of makes it special or what would be appealing to entrepreneurs Edmonton from your opinion?
1: Couple things. I mean, I can... I'll speak in a more general sense. I'll speak more on the real estate front because that's what I what I know and know well. Um, I know in generally, Edmontonians are quite open-minded. I know, uh, for exa- a really good example, is the restaurant scene. A lot of uh, you know new restaurants typically open in Edmonton first before they go other places because they know the Edmontonians are more open-minded, more open to experimentation. Um, on the real estate front, I find that it's a very stable economy compared to a lot of other cities. Uh, for example, if you want to compare it to Calgary, where I currently reside, but I was born and raised in Edmonton. Uh, Calgary is a very kind of a, one, uh, one, like a one-trick pony in the, in the sense that a lot of it's dependent on oil. Uh, the oil headquarters, everything's kind of there. Whereas Edmonton, there's the government um, headquarters are there, the, so that provides a stable base for the economy. There's a lot of manufacturing, there's a lot of um, there's university, and there's a lot of, and it's kind of a hub for a lot of the north, to the northern gateway, kind of to, the, to the Fort Mac and all that stuff too. So a lot of workers kind of concentrate in Edmonton before they get, sh- before they move out to the other projects up north. So just from all those things, I feel like it's a more diverse economy. So then it's not, so it doesn't, so any shocks to the oil um, the oil market won't be, as, won't be felt as sharply as it would be in Edmonton as it would be in Calgary, for example.
0: For sure. We definitely can see that. I mean, it's uh, an interesting time, especially for real estate. Um, but with you guys, you kind of have this setup where you have people come in and you talk to them a lot. and mm-hmm. have these group sessions. So in a time where we can't really do that, what has been the way that you've dealt with that, or incorporated digital into your business to kind of make up for that?
1: It's been a—it's been tough. We actually took a bit of a hiatus because uh, we typically hold these monthly masterminds uh, where we get together in a group, you know, 40, 50 people, and we have guest speakers and whatnot, and it's a good way for people to network. And we've had to move it all online recent in the last couple of months. Move—it's uh, all on Link. Sorry, Zoom. Sorry, uh, all on Zoom. But the, it's not quite the same. I mean, we're still getting these speakers, we're still getting the information out there, but I feel the one thing that is lacking is the the kind of the serendipitous interpersonal interactions that kind of happen when you kind of meet, put, put a bunch of people together in a room and, and everyone just gets to mingle and talk. So that's unfortunate, but I think we're, we're still kind of doing our best to promote that community as best we can. And it gives a good opportunity for us to, kind of look at different avenues. I mean, as entrepreneurs, a lot of the reasons we do it is to kind of create a bit of freedom for ourselves, right? We don't want to be tied to anything. We don't want to be tied to a nine to five or a job location where we show up every day. So this kind of promotes that bit of thinking as well, how do we move all, the pl- all our platform onto, you know, create a system where you can just kind of do it from anywhere in the world. And I think that kind of helps, you know, it's, it's in line with the vision of uh, what we want to do as well as entrepreneurs. I do, my goal is to kind of at least, you know, create time for myself to be able to do it anywhere and you know, have more time for traveling and spend time with friends and family and whatnot. So I think it's, there are some downsides, but I think it does create open up some opportunities as well and forced growth, if anything, if nothing else.
0: For sure. And one of the benefits is that you're not the only one doing this right so Mm -hmm. people are getting used to these platforms they are moving forward with things and they're realizing oh we might have to do this for a while so Mm
1: -hmm.
0: we're gonna sign up for things then this is the way we're gonna have to do it so I think that definitely helps out that uh, you have some experience with zoom
1: (laughs) yeah one thing I did notice though it is the online space is getting very noisy I don't know if that's something you guys have noticed as well
0: but it's definitely a case where there are a lot more people putting out content than ever before. And it's harder to find necessarily the right thing that you're looking for. And I think that's where new platforms, like a lot of people have been exposed to podcasts through this kind Mm -hmm. of come into play. So, was it something, because I know you guys started your podcast well before COVID or any any of these. So mm-hmm. was that something that you wanted to be able to bring things to people digitally? And podcast was kind of the best way at the time? or?
1: And I don't know if it's the best way at the time, but I think it's a really good way in general. Just because it is a way for people to consume information kind of on the go. Uh, it's how I consumed a lot of my information a lot, like you know, while driving podcasts or audiobooks. And so, and, and through a lot of the entrepreneurs and real estate investors I've met, they that's how they typically you know, listen. They, a lot of, I'm feeling, I'm finding less and less people actually read books now. Uh, they actually just listen to books or listen to podcasts more often than not. So I felt like that was a good platform to reach out to the audience that I was looking to reach out to, which are mostly investors or people who want to learn. But I, it was a good way to connect with people around the world too, because it was hard to uh, it makes it easier to you know, connect like this and record it and, and uh, have that kind of interaction. Whereas if you were to do an inter- in-person interviews, it does limit your ability to reach out to people, you know, talented people around the globe that you otherwise wouldn't be able to meet up.
0: Definitely. I know even things like the Joe Rogan uh, podcast, he talks about testing everyone who comes into his studio because they always film it. Face to face, Mm -hmm. so I think you have an advantage there in that being prepared to do podcasts from with guests from different places. It definitely comes in handy.
1: Mm -hmm. And unlike Joe Rogan, I don't have a big studio where I love where you know you can sit around a big table and talk. Mm -hmm. So,
0: but still, quality mics (laughs) works out there. (laughs) Um, One thing that I was wondering because with podcasts, obviously we're talking about it's a um, like an auditory experience, but is there something? that you feel like sometimes gets lost with not being able to show visuals like your typical PowerPoint slide or explaining things in real estate that may be complicated for people who are new?
1: Yeah, I mean, if we go into more of the the detailed analysis for say, like, you know, doing the math and how to analyze a property that would, uh, visuals would definitely help with that. Uh, but with my podcast, we typically kind of look at how real estate investors or entrepreneurs kind of get started. The whole premise of it is to kind of encourage current uh, real estate investors to kind of take that leap. Right? It's, 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 it's a big step for a lot of people. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of it's a big commitment. So the idea is to get the to kind of see what mindset a lot of investors. Know, go through to, to get to that point where they're ready to take that leap so there so we don't go too much into the i guess the analytical part of the uh of, of the industry we it's a little higher level and we you know through our masterminds and through our blogs and all that too we provide that analysis bit that if people want to dig a little bit deeper they can uh learn more about that but i just this, this is just to provide um you know good insight to other entrepreneurs and about uh, how to approach a startup, how to approach a business, how to, how to scale, uh, how to create a system that allows them to you know, um, gain traction and promote the business a bit more. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, so the format of the podcast doesn't require visuals so much. So I feel that, you know, although we do record it as a visual, but I haven't actually published it with, uh, with visuals because I didn't feel that was necessary at that point.
0: For sure. Yeah, I think that's the uh, multi-pronged approach, right? And being Mm -hmm. able to uh, provide content in multiple places can really be a big benefit for uh, entrepreneurs. Um, So real estate, Mm -hmm. pretty fickle (laughs) in the best of times. Um, But being in an industry that's been so impacted by other industries, is there something that you and your partners have worked into your business plan, knowing that something like oil or something now like COVID can affect your industry completely externally?
1: Depends on the type of tactic you want to employ when you're dealing with real estate. If you're looking to kind of buy and sell and flip kind of relatively quickly, then that might, you might notice a bit more of a, it might be more, bit more difficulty in that sense because of the downturn of the economy but uh, say so if you're doing something that's a little bit longer term so you you know you're buying holding and renting it's typically less impacted i find than if you're trying to do the quick turn uh, tactics because i mean you have time to ride out the ride out the downturns and typically i mean in times like these uh, for example buying renting buying holding and renting is actually a, might even be a better strategy at this time because it is more difficult for some people to get credit. It is more difficult for some people to you know, have that uh, savings that they've might have had to dip into to you know, weather through COVID, so they don't have that down payment anymore to buy that house. So then they have to rent. So so something like that, as I, I find, might actually be might actually be a, see a bit of an upside. Whereas if you were to were you planning to renovate and flip. That might be a little bit more difficult in this time because um you know people don't have that liquidity that mm-hmm. they that they used to have a few months back definitely
0: so i have a little bit of a controversial question for you yeah. in that um airbnb it's a big thing that everyone's talking about right now i know they requested government aid and things like that but how has that kind of affected your business, the fact that Airbnb even exists or that they're struggling?
1: Um, with what I do is mostly buy, hold, and rent. Frankly, I haven't really noticed because there's two different sectors of the economy that don't, they, they mean they're related, mm-hmm. but they're not, they don't, they, don't really, they don't really kind of overlap too much, right? If, if um, The person looking to rent long-term doesn't necessarily would look at a short-term rental. And I mostly focus on the long-term rentals. And and yeah, so it doesn't really affect me too much. I guess, so it hasn't, uh, I haven't really felt the impact of it.
0: That's great. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I know in Calgary, there was a lot of um, people talking about how they've bought apartments specifically mm-hmm. to rent them out on Airbnb. So they're mm-hmm. kind of doing the opposite of what you would be interested in then.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, Ups and downs. Airbnb, if you if it works, it works well because you can get a lot high, you know, a lot higher income for for the um, for you know for the rent versus versus traditional rent. Downside is it's a lot is a bit more work. You know, it's a lot of turnovers, and for those apartments that you buy to Airbnb, they may not necessarily work out as regular rentals. So by buying those, they're kind of limiting themselves to a very specific strat, a specific tactic. And if, you, if it, that tactic doesn't work, you don't really have a lot to fall back on.
0: Definitely. I know yeah. we just saw an article come out of Toronto with this couple who was saying that they, um, I guess they can make 11 grand a month if they rented out on Airbnb. And they were upset that if they chose a long-term tenant, it would only be two grand. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely something that's kind of affected the industry, but not not in a way that you've seen uh, for the part that you're interested in? But.
1: For the part that I'm focused on, yeah. But I mean, I, I feel that in, any, any entrepreneur, any real estate investor should be open to all tactics. You know, they, have, they, should be, they should have their playbook available. You know, they should have all the tools in their, in their playbook if they need to employ them. But they, I, feel, I feel it's also important to focus on one niche and get really good at that niche. So you're not really kind of you know, playing uh, squirrel syndrome Mm. all the time so that because you never if you try to try everything you never you never really get good at any particular thing in the short term
0: (laughs) for sure yeah i definitely agree with you there um so with your business it's one that you could potentially spread across the entire province um working from home could potentially be a problem with buying real estate and that you can't go inspect things in the same way that you normally would uh now that the pandemic is kind of quieting down a little bit is that something that you've seen people jumping on again being like come check out this property or
1: i find i haven't really had much issues like i've still had uh vacancies and you know turnover during this whole pandemic and i haven't enough kind of created systems to to uh deal with that so um, I've, uh, you know, hired people from outside of, you know, within to help me, to help me out. So to help me do the showings, but I also make sure that, you know, there's no overlap in the showings. So, so there's no more open houses. They always provide PPE to the people. I, I, I buy PPE for my employees to provide to the people who want to view the property. So before they walk in, here's, you know, here's, here's mask, here's gloves, uh, before you go in and you know just just to and to have rules to limit exposure to the tenant to a certain if especially if someone's already living there still you know don't touch anything you know we if if you need to touch something let us know we can you know my my employees know the protocol they will open the doors for you they will, will turn on off lights for you they'll open the doors for you so then that also limits exposure too so i think that i think between that and having this remote system that I've built up over the years to manage my properties, it's, uh, it's helped a lot. So it's, I don't typically have to be there anymore hmm. if I don't, if I don't have to, unless, you know, unless it's a brand new house that I'm picking up taking possession of or something like that. But otherwise for day-to-day operations, I don't need to be there anymore.
0: So you've kind of already pre-innovated to make this a little bit more of a smooth process from before when this happened.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole the whole idea was to work less, right? To get more time. So I've designed, I've tried to create a system where I can get as much, you know, have as little input as possible, while well, you know, making the making the whole process efficient as possible.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah. so we do have a question as well. So. Yeah, for will, sure. I'll go to that. Um, it says, Phil, can you tell us a little bit more about the types of systems and processes that you've created to help your company uh, be more resilient to shocks?
1: Well, when it comes to real estate in general, um, you want to create a margin of safety when you buy. So, when it, so that's, like, that's, the, that's the biggest thing, right, is whether or not it affects your income. And if you can, if you can purchase a property that has abundance of cash flow from the beginning. So, you know, you, you do market research, you make sure that you factor in all your, all the costs that you can taxes, insurance, mortgage, all that stuff. And if you can still, your rent can still exceed that by a significant margin, you know, two, $300 after all expenses, then, then it's a good buy. Then you know that, you know, even if you had to drop the rent by $300 a month, you'll still be in the black you know you're, you're still not underwater yet and and the higher the cash flow the better and frankly i feel like now during times like these if you can still make money then you're in good shape because you know you know that you will you will be just fine when things get better so and yeah so i think the margin of safety is the most important thing make sure making sure you have that buffer room to play with in case things do go down and they will go down costs creep costs will go up and Income does go down from time to time, so you need that buffer. So, you, so you, breaking even is not good enough. So, that's the bottom line.
0: Interesting. Um, one thing that kind of goes with that is—is is that one reason why you've developed this new bookkeeping uh, system? Is it because mm-hmm. you've done all of this work kind of in the back end to understand where break even is? And
1: yeah, I mean, a lot of these kind of were built out of necessity. Um, and desire. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't like to have to show up all the time to my accountant or bookkeeping's office because, you know, I also have a full-time day job as well. So I don't have as much time as uh, some people who is doing this, doing their entrepreneurship full-time. So I, so then I've created the system in order to fit with my lifestyle. So just to be able to do it on my own time in front of a computer, anytime, anywhere, so without having to, you know, deal with uh, people, so to speak, or deal with deal in person with people.
0: For sure. I think that's something that like a lot of our members would kind of be interested in hearing a little bit more about. So essentially, is yeah, so, it, can whatever you can share with us, for sure. Yeah, yeah,
1: for sure. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, um, it's called REIBS, which stands for Real Estate Investor Bookkeeping Services, uh, R-E-I-B-S. And you can find us on Facebook if you want more information. Um, but what we designed was we kind of, we partnered up with a bookkeeper to, we were kind of myself and my partner, we were guinea pigging, guinea pigging this for a year to try to figure out what systems work, what folder systems work, um, what online platforms work best for this bookkeeping system to kind of create. So then now we have a nice flow where we, all you have to do is, uh, you know, take in, take a photo. If you get a receipt for a property or something like that, all you have to do is take a photo, maybe make a note, which prop the address of the property it'll immediately go to our, go to the app. Uh, we, we use um, QuickBooks. So immediately go to the QuickBooks app and then, and then, then it'll immediately forward on to the bookkeeper who will then, uh, who has already created rules for where different receipts go and automatically shuffle into your proper account. And then they'll create, and then they can create, uh, you know, quarterly reports and all that stuff for your monthly reports. So it's all done kind of in a seamless way through various online platforms using, you know, uh, using Google, using QuickBooks, using, yeah, you, through our bookkeeper who kind of, cre- who kind of knows the system. So, so it's very created in a seamless way where you, all you have to do after you go f- come back from a shopping trip from Home Depot is to take a photo of a receipt and then it's done. And yeah. then that's, that, that's it. You know? everything, else, everything else is handled in the background. And then all you do is you get a little uh, statement, a little report and statement at the end of the month and then that's it.
0: I think that's probably some of the favorite things that our entrepreneurs like to hear is and then it's done. <laughs> <laughs> simple and that is definitely what everyone prefers. I know we have a couple of people in who the, in the call today that uh definitely would prefer quick and simple quickbooks.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to
0: call anybody out but uh, <laughs> it, uh it it's not the most simple process when you're starting your own business and it's it can get really complicated if you're buying all these things. So that does sound very, very interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the paperwork involved is just ridiculous at the, at the beginning, right? And then that just kind of gets overwhelming after a while. So then it's, uh, so it's nice. It, we, we again, created it out of necessity because I just hated dealing with all that. So then, but it's, uh, yeah, so it's, so it's We finally found a system that works and then we're just kind of, we're, now we're marketing it to others who want to utilize it as well.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds very interesting. Um, thank you for sharing that with yeah, us. I'm really excited to hear about that more. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely going to have to check out that Facebook page. Um, for sure. But uh, that's definitely, definitely fun to hear about. Um, whenever it's like diversifying and different lines of business, I think that can be really helpful to explore with our entrepreneurs because you know, you can get very entrenched in one idea and then another one pops up. But uh, like our owner, Tegan, uh, she is involved in a lot of different lines of business. And it's one of those things where diversity can definitely help out.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, as entrepreneurs, it's never just one business. It's all, it always segues into something else. You know, you find something and then you're like, oh, hey, that's a good idea. Kind of, and it's, it's almost a natural progression in a lot of ways. So I think it's important to, you know, Keep your mind open and never, never be stuck in one thing. Always have, always be ready to jump into another opportunity. If you see, jump into another um, venture, if you see the opportunity.
0: Awesome. Yeah, no, that's actually um, a perfect segue as well to introduce our next speaker. So, thank mm-hmm. you for setting yeah. that up for me. Um, because our next speaker is uh, Carly Belaznik, who uh, recently launched a clothing line during the pandemic. She's got um, a podcast going on, very involved in the digital marketing world through TikTok, as well as she recently graduated from uh, her degree. So, we do want to give her a shout out for finishing that as well. So, Without further ado, I'm going to introduce Carly, and then she can uh give you a little bit more about the background there and what's uh what she's been working on because it's definitely a few lines of business, and uh one of those includes a podcast which I will say is called "Hey Bitches um, so <laughs> to give everyone
2: uh the the heads up before you google it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so i'm Carly um Like Madison said, I'm uh, an influencer, digital entrepreneur type gal. I do this now full time. Um, This is my full time job. I do Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, a podcast, now a clothing line. And I've been in this space for probably about six years now. So for six years, I worked in corporate digital marketing. So I ran the social media for West Edmonton Mall. I worked for a parkour company here in the city where I got to go to tons of like awesome big fitness events and learn about digital marketing in like the fitness influencer space and all that kind of stuff. I grew up very involved in performing arts and stuff like that. So I was a competitive dancer for 14 years. I was a CFL cheerleader and all of that kind of came to a culmination I feel like of becoming an influencer so originally I started off with a blog and now here I am with the the podcast TikTok Instagram YouTube the clothing line probably a bunch of other stuff that I'll figure out how to do by the end of the year but that uh, that's my little my spiel
0: Yeah, it's uh, funny because right before when we were doing our sound check, you were mentioning that the the clothing line kind of just happened.
2: Yes. So the way it kind of happened, so in October of 2019 is when I first started to take TikTok more seriously. So I had a TikTok account when I lost my corporate job, which was kind of like my springboard into going into entrepreneurship full time. So I lost my corporate job and I was like, you know what? I've been doing this for six years part-time. I'm going to take this year. I have two more semesters left of school. Like I really don't have anything to lose. So I went into it full-time. And so I got TikTok in May. And this was before anybody was like actually really on it. People were still like, oh, TikTok is for 14-year-olds and all this stuff. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be on the platform. And then in October of 2019 is when I started to really, really get involved with it. I grew my account from like 4,000 followers to like 50,000 followers in a month. And now I sit at 196,000 followers. And it's just because I was consistently putting out content that connected with people, which then turned into Creating Confidence Club, which is my clothing line. So a way that a lot of influencers make money is they do merch, which is like picture or shirts with their faces on it or their catchphrases, or anything like that. But I felt as though I have never really bought merch with people's faces on it or anything like that. I just never felt too like connected to stuff like that. And the type of content that I created on TikTok or, and I still create on TikTok has a lot to do with just being positive, being accepting to where you are in life, accepting to the body, the skin that you're born in. And it kind of created confidence clubs. So for a very long time, I was like the go-to body positive TikToker because I would talk about my experiences. I would share places to shop. I would do all this stuff. And when it came time to do merch, I was like, okay, like I want to do something that makes us all feel like a team and makes us all feel connected because it's not about me. It's about Everybody else and how they all can feel empowered and happy and positive like in their own skin and their own situation So that's kind of how confidence club was born. And so I'm wearing it. This is the original design, but I wanted it to be very like Collegiate varsity team like we're all in this together type of vibe because at the end of the day we all are and then it took off (laughs) and I was really not expecting it and it's it's been doing really well and i'm very happy about it i did this launch in april we just launched the pride collection for june and then i've been working to manufacture my own line because a, a big thing for me and for confidence club is size inclusivity so we we do small to 5x in all of the pieces so figuring that out logistically as well was also very hard because there's not a lot of things where you can buy a sweater or a sweatsuit or a jacket in all inclusive sizing, which I think was a really, really big part of Confidence Club and of making everybody feel like they're accepted in a space. So I had to go and get that manufactured. And it's just been a crazy whirlwind of things I did not expect I would be doing this year.
0: (laughs) I can imagine. I feel like when you First saw when I first saw you posting about Confidence Club, I was like, "Wait, what? Where did this even come from?" <laughs> because it came up very quickly, and you just had to adapt to it, right? And I think learning about an entirely new industry, like Phil was talking about with bookkeeping, it's something that entrepreneurs are just kind of expected.
2: Like, "Yep, okay, now you have to go learn this." Mm-hmm. Do you find that? No, to your face? I agree I'm very much of the thinking that like you should never stop learning so I am very when I have an idea in my head I'll spend the next like 48 hours like incessantly researching like ridiculous like when confidence club started taking off I literally had just wrote my last final and I was online like applying to fashion school all this stuff trying to figure out fashion merchandising because I was like what am I going to do? This is like a thing that I don't know about that. I don't have like a ton of friends that do it. And I do, I do have a lot of friends now that I've spoken about it that really were very helpful in me figuring all this kind of stuff out. But I don't know. I just feel like I'm of the thinking that you always have to be constantly learning and adapting if you want to get ahead and make a difference and social media because I'm very well versed in it at this point. Like it's so natural for me to just like pivot in all these different directions because things are always consistently changing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about it as well. Like who would have thought we'd be talking about things like TikTok and now even our speaker next week, Linda, she's giving a talk specifically on TikTok for businesses and Mm -hmm. not something that I think a lot of professionals
2: saw because we did just think, oh, this is just for just for kids, right? Absolutely. Um, definitely when I first started growing my audience and my my manager is actually in this chat, so we definitely have had a lot of conversations about having to educate brands and all the stuff on the importance of TikTok. It's not actually as bad anymore as it was in my first like couple months of trying to get brands on board for TikTok, but It definitely is something that I feel like a lot of people were very scared of. And that's the same thing that we saw when Facebook came out, when Instagram came out, people were like, Ooh, I don't know if I want to do that because it's, it's new and it's not your everyday normal, but it is really, really important. Like it's the number one social media app in the world right now. And if you want to expand and grow your business, there's no reason that you shouldn't be on it. For sure. I think, um, that
0: one might be a little scary for some people <laughs> still, but it's definitely something that they should definitely look into. And like even the Washington Journal is on there. There's a wide variety of businesses on there already. Um, one thing that I know through uh, the pandemic and through COVID, people have been focused on shifting to making more digital content. And like we said with Phil, some of that existed beforehand. So your podcast actually is older than any of your bigger, uh, your big TikTok fame, but uh, mm-hmm. is, it's kind of been a consistent thing through your YouTube journey and through
2: through all of your blogging journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so the podcast was something that I felt like I just wanted to start. I have a very like outlandish personality. I am very much speak what's on my mind. And I was, I felt that I just needed another place to talk about it. Like I needed another place to share stories and all this kind of stuff. And the podcast was just like a logical step for me. I worked on the radio when I was younger. I was a German language host when I was like 15. And I learned so much about radio broadcasting and all this kind of stuff and literally was radio broadcasting in like a different language and so I was like okay I'll use all of these skills to create a podcast and it was really cool it was really just like a passion project I wasn't expecting tons of stuff to happen from it but then it really really took off and it was very surprising so the podcast celebrated a year in March and in not even the full year, it was really crazy. The podcast became a top 50 sexuality podcast on Apple Podcasts. It got nominated for two Canadian podcasting awards. I got a lot of like recognition in the space for it. And it was really, really cool. And it was not something that I expected. And I also feel like if I wouldn't have just like gone in and been like, okay, I'm doing this now. If I would have planned to be top 50 and plan to get these awards and plan to blah 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 it wouldn't have gone as successfully I feel like as it did because much like my feelings on TikTok I just jumped in and made it work and figured it out as I went because I feel as though when you plan things too much you kind of are taking out the fun entrepreneurial magic of figuring out figuring it out along the way
0: Definitely. I think um having those diversified uh platforms is also just super important these days because like Phil said, he listens to audiobooks. He listens to things and uh rather than watching them, sitting down and watching things sometimes is just too much energy, especially when everything online has been so uh draining lately. It's uh mm-hmm. hard to sit down and be like all right i'll watch this next video whereas if you can just plug it in and listen and as you're doing things it definitely can help out so you just kind of needed more space to actually be able to express yourself and i think that's uh, really important to get the voice behind the entrepreneur as well
2: absolutely yeah no i felt like for me personally it was a time where Instagram was very visually focused, like a ton of people. That was a, the platform I was very much on at the time. And a ton of people were really concerned about their super cool aesthetic grids and all this stuff. And it was just something that I never felt like I could master. And then Instagram stories came out and I felt like it was like the perfect platform for me because my I'm I'm very much a, a, video, a personality for video. I... I'm not as much of a a static image type of person. So I, I thought that very much to what you said about getting to know the person behind the business, it was a good move for podcasting, for Instagram stories, for YouTube to just show up because at the end of the day, I feel like a lot of people connect with businesses because they believe in like their human aspects that they bring to the table. It's not that they make... $400 million in revenue in a year, or they have this many shareholders. It's about their story and the human aspects that this business brings. So I felt like it was very important for me to get out in front of everybody and show them my personality and have conversations and be raw and real and authentic on all these platforms so people could feel more connected to me and everything that I had to offer. For sure.
0: I think as well. Something that kind of goes along with that is not being scared to fail at a platform. So while a static image does not work for you, it's okay that you tried it and that you're moving forward.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I am (laughs) from a young age, I was very much rejection proof. That's like a very good book if anybody is scared about getting rejected. But from a young age, I was very rejection proof. Like I remember being like eight years old and asking my friends if they wanted to come over and they're like oh I don't know if my mom would let me and I'd be like okay but did you ask because if you don't ask the answer is no and so I've carried that kind of thinking into my business so I'm not I'm really not afraid to fail like if you fail like what's what's the worst that can happen you fail so you, you do something else like it's not I don't see failure as a huge detriment. I see failure as a a place to learn how to do better. Same with rejection. Not every single brand that I talk to wants to work with me. Not every single influencer that I talk to wants to be my friend. It's not a personal thing. Rejection and failure is just, it's literally just part of the journey. And you have to learn how to... Combat it, so you can move on to bigger and better things that actually fit your purpose, your business, your goals, your visions. Because also, if you're accepting everything that's coming your way, you're really watering down the worth of what you bring to the table. I really, really like that last line. <laughs> that
0: was a, that was a great one. It's um, it's definitely something to keep in mind, right? Because we do have a lot of entrepreneurs in our space where they are solopreneurs and they are people who haven't, they don't have a massive team, but Mm -hmm. it is their business. It is their heart. And we do have a question here. Um, You've mentioned quite a few platforms, social media, podcasts, and otherwise that you're involved with. So they have two questions. Okay. How do you know which platforms to prioritize and how do you maintain the patience and bandwidth for continually putting yourself out there?
2: Okay. So first question, how do you know which platforms to prioritize? I kind of, when I was planning out my 2020, I kind of looked at all of the things that I was on. So Facebook, YouTube, podcast, et cetera. And I said, what is making me money? What is bringing me traction? What is putting me in front of eyeballs? And then I kind of weighed them all from there and then ranked them one to five. And it's not that if you're five, we're not doing it. It's just that maybe instead of posting five times a week on YouTube, like I was at one point, that's a once a week thing now, because now I'm posting six times a day on TikTok. So I kind of just sit down with myself and I think, what has the most potential for me? What is doing well already? And what do I feel like I want to put my energy behind? And so that kind of also ties into the second question about patience and bandwidth and putting yourself out there with all of this content and all this stuff. And something that I definitely am is like a big content planner. So for me, I'm kind of the person where I will plan things out three months at a time loosely so I know that I want to post three times a day on TikTok. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll sit there and I'll analyze the trends and I'll understand what's going on in the platform so that I can have this content and I don't wake up stressed every day. And I know the podcast comes out two, t- two times a week. So I'm like, okay, well, what are the episodes going to be? Who do I need to contact? So I'm not scrambling the day before. I think that when you plan it's it's a very good thing. I think the quote is like, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I think that's the quote. But planning, I think, is very, very important. There's tons of entrepreneurs who can do it off the cuff, but I am just not that person because I have so many revolving doors at this time that need my energy and my attention that – if I don't say, okay, these are the YouTube videos I have to film this month. These are all the Instagram photos. This is the TikTok. This is the, the podcast, all this kind of stuff. If I don't have that, I wake up and I'm stressed and I'm scrambled and I'm not putting out good content and I'm missing things. And it just is not how I want to spend my time or energy. So I do put the time, the energy into creating content calendars and systems and just understanding my business as a whole. So it can be the best it can be without me being absolutely burnt out and stressed every single day.
0: For sure, I think that's definitely really helpful, um, especially if somebody's a little bit more introverted, right, because for you absolutely. it can flow very naturally, but for others not as much. But when it comes to reacting, like you may have planned things out three months ahead of time, but who knew that a global pandemic would happen? Yeah. Is it important to react to things right away, or do you find that you put more effort? Like, I need to think about my message before I put it out.
2: I am on different sides of the coin for this. I feel like, on one hand, for COVID, for example, like my mom is a healthcare worker, she's a medical dosimetrist, she works in cancer research. So, I have an understanding of. The Alberta health system and all this stuff, like just growing up basically in a hospital. And for me, I spoke to my mom about it and shared resources and stuff like that, because it's not like a place that I a hundred percent understand. Like I'm not a healthcare worker, I'm not a nurse, I'm not anything like that. But then that is like a situation where I would educate myself and post, but then for example with everything that's happening on social media right now for the Black Lives, Ma- Black Lives Matter movement, all that kind of stuff, that is stuff that I've experienced personally. So I don't feel as though I need to craft a message to, and like think and educate myself because it's my own personal experience. Now, in regards to your first question about what happens when things like this, like throw a wrench into your content plan, I feel like, That also is a big thing that entrepreneurs need to learn is how to adapt to the changing situations and adapting could mean to a new platform, to changing your entire marketing campaign because suddenly we have a global pandemic and it's always just about innovating and being able to change your message or your content on the fly. Like I'm not devastated if I had an episode that was supposed to come out and then a global pandemic hit. and Now I can't post it. Like, it's not, it's not a big deal. You just pivot and you work towards using your voice for something good.
0: For sure. I think um, we've seen a lot of really great examples of that uh, throughout the past few months for sure. But uh, it's, It's something that I think some people get a little worried because they invest a lot of time into a certain content plan and they're like, this is money, this was my time. What do I do with this video? Do I keep it in the back? Or do I just scrap it and move forward? And so I think that innovation that you talk about, I think people tend not to think too much about innovation within social media quite yet. They're a little bit worried still.
2: No, I completely agree. I think that definitely seeing it from like working in in corporate social media, a lot of people are very not flexible. Like they are like, oh, well, I have to get approval from all these things and blah, blah, blah. And by the time they get approval, they've missed their entire opportunity. So I think that something that, that every entrepreneur, aspiring entrepreneur, business owner, corporation could learn is that flexibility is really key like adaptation is really key especially if you want to advance your business through the ever-changing times that could mean social media that could literally mean current climate with a global pandemic if you can't adapt you're going to be lost in the dust <laughs> I think that's totally fair to say I think
0: uh, we've definitely seen that with the shift in some businesses right it's uh mm-hmm. It's the constant headline as a millennial that you see about which business we're killing this week. So it's uh, Mm -hmm. something that is always kind of in the back of the mind. Well, and we have another question: Uh, Do you think your influencer journey would have been easier or harder if you were younger? So if you were a teen influencer, and what tips do you have for teenagers who want to become an influencer and make their mark on a social media world?
2: Um, would it be easier if I was younger? So I was seventeen when I started my influencer journey. So, I mean, that's like considerably not even that young. When you look at a lot of influencers today, they're like 15. (laughs) Um, But would it be easier or harder if I was younger? I feel like I am in the perfect age of understanding where I was still young enough to have dial-up internet for like a lot of my life. I saw the innovation of the iPhone and I was just in like the perfect little bubble of understanding everything from all sides. So would it be easier or harder if I was younger? I think it would be a little bit harder, honestly, if I was younger because I wouldn't have lived all this life experience that I did watching social media come to fruition watching Instagram get launched when I was in my grade 11 year watching Facebook get launched when I was in junior high so I definitely think it would be harder for me but at the same time it's a double-edged sword a lot of influencers who are younger were raised in this environment already so they have an inherent understanding from when they're a lot younger So I'm honestly not sure. That's definitely a double-edged sword type of thing that I can advocate for both sides. Um, But for the second question is, what tips do you have for teenagers who want to become an influencer and make a mark in their social media world? My biggest tip, whether you're an individual, a business, whatever, is that consistency is key. Something that I found I was doing for five years, obviously because I was working two jobs and I was getting my degree and all this stuff like I didn't have time to be consistent on platforms but being consistent really is what helps you grow it's what helps you get in front of the eyes of people it's it hard work doesn't or it, things don't work unless you put the hard work in so I feel like a lot of people these days are like oh well I'll post a couple videos and hopefully like I'll wake up with a million followers and it's just not like that you have to put in the work to see the reward so that is my biggest tip is be consistent show up if that's every day if you can sustain it show up every day if it's once a week make sure you show up once a week it's not about overwhelming a platform with 18 pieces of content a day it's about showing up consistently to share your message and what you stand for and build an audience that way
0: i definitely agree with that seeing um people who got big on YouTube many, many years now, Um, my friend started when he was 13 and he achieved massive, massive success very quickly, but he wasn't, he didn't have the support system around him at the time to be ready for that and to be Mm -hmm. ready to hit like 1 million subscribers. It just, it changed his whole life. So I think having the support system and reaching out to other influencers, asking them, showing up to things like this uh, to get, The advice
2: from them is really, really beneficial. Absolutely. Support systems are incredible. I talk about this like at every chance that I get, but I have a really, really, really incredible support system. My friend group is incredible. I feel like they have been such a core piece of all of the the success I've achieved because I can come to them with ideas and they'll come back to me with constructive feedback or things that I can improve on or they'll have really good connections that I'll be able to utilize or they'll just be able to cheer me on. And it's, it's anything from taking my actual content to maybe doing an email or two for me while I'm doing something else or editing something for me. And it just is, your support system really is everything because they're always there to lift you up when you need it. And then they're always there to celebrate your wins with you as well.
0: Mm -hmm. That positivity, uh, we actually talked about it in our first session of the series of uh, creating a positive mindset is so, so important. And then we have one more question, which is, what advice would you give for someone who solely relies on social media for the audience, but is very uncomfortable in front of the camera, pictures and videos, but wants to build good content?
2: So this is actually something that I I see often because me and my my best friend are complete opposites. So I am like the big extrovert, talks to anybody, is okay on camera type of thing. And she is like the introvert, like hasn't posted on Instagram in three months, like doesn't (laughs) upkeep her social media. And I'm only saying this because she's in the... in this discussion and I feel like she knows I'm talking about her, but um, it, it's hard, I get it. I get that some people are built for video and voice and some people are built for more types of static content. But the thing that I definitely would say is that gone are the days where you can rely on just static content. So you need to choose, are you doing voice or are you doing video? And voice is a really good option for people who are more introverted. So you don't have to get on camera. You can record a podcast and it's it's you by yourself speaking into the mic. So you don't really have to put yourself in these situations where you might feel like you're awkward around people, but... That is definitely, like, a way that I would suggest people who are uncomfortable on being in front of the camera to go is into into voice if they don't want to be on video. This also says, I'm very extroverted, but definitely more in person. Something else I would also say in the same vein is that it's definitely a learned experience of talking in front of the camera, of being in front of the camera, of being comfortable, because... I was very awkward when I first started, and it was surprising for me because I was a a performer for literally my whole life, like I was a musical theater major before I was in business school, and it's not something that ever was awkward for me, like interacting in front of crowds and all this stuff when I sat down to talk in front of a camera, it was strange, and it's definitely a learned skill so If you feel like you do want to be in front of the camera on pictures and videos, but you feel awkward and that's like a barrier to entry for you, just do it, sit down and do it and get comfortable. You don't have to post them, but do it and practice to become a better on air speaker on video type of speaker, because at the end of the day, it's awkward. I get it. I was awkward at first too, but it definitely is a learned skill. But if you don't want to do any of that, voice is also a good option.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. So I think the two biggest themes here are never stop learning and don't Mm -hmm. be scared to start your own podcast, which is pretty (laughs) good. Literally. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, we are getting uh, right here onto one o'clock. So I do want to thank everybody uh, for coming up, but I really want to thank Phil and Carly for sharing their journeys and for giving those two different sides, which is so interesting to see uh using the same platforms but in very very different ways so um next week we have uh technically our last session we will see about that because we might have some fun things uh, coming up for you guys but we have Linda Huang as well as Johnny Jocks so Johnny Jocks is from Print Machine behind that Here for Good campaign and Linda is a massive influencer in Edmonton as well as the founder of uh, the International Cat Festival here in Edmonton (laughs) so that's pretty exciting Um, but we definitely learned a lot about podcasting and business today so I really do want to thank both of you for that and we will see you all next Thursday right here at the same time at the same channel and uh, I will talk to you all then. Thank you everybody for joining.